0: All right, Colossians chapter 2, that's where we're gonna be. Let me pray as we jump into our time together. Father, so thankful for moments like this that we get to gather to listen to your word taught. Father, I pray that I would get out of the way and the beauty of Colossians 2 would resonate in our souls, but ultimately that this would be a place. An altar for your glory that as we come here to worship you that you're the only one who would be beautiful in this place you're the only one who would be glorified in this place may not be about salt company may not be about any of us but would it only and always be about your glory King Jesus thank you that we have 10,000 reasons to praise you thank you that you have been faithful to us this fall and thank you that 2,000 years ago, you hung on a cross so that we could live. Father, this is a holy moment. Let me pray that that would be true. And you know what we pray? Amen. All right. Here's our starting our time together. Have you ever had a moment in life where you're so close, yet so far? Okay, all right. Stay with me. Some of you guys like, this is my life. Yes, I know. Always. So close, yet so far moments. Like, when you have to get 70 on a test and you score like 68, you're just kind of like, oh man, why did I even try? I should have just got a 20. Like, it doesn't matter. Nothing happens. It happens. Guys, I remember when I was a junior in high school, I'm like a 5'7 Asian kid with no athletic ability. So I swam, and I'm not trying to, Tommy's a real swimmer. He's here and he's like long, but I was not. And so I finally made it a varsity, and then I DQ'd. You know what I mean? You're just like, Oh my gosh. And then you get out of the water and you're like, did anyone see, literally everyone saw because you jumped early, okay, tragic. So close, yet so far. This next one is gonna be traumatic for some of you, so just buckle in. When you've been crushing on someone for years, like literal years, you've been like their best friend for so long, you even got them flowers at a weird moment that you shouldn't have. And they hit you with the sentence, I love you like a brother. And you're like, oh, whoa. Never again! You're like, oh my gosh, that's three years of therapy. Right there, you know? That's tragic. So close. So close, but no cigar. So close, but so far. All right. You guys know how this works. We start off with B-minus jokes, and then we get right into the text. Okay. Why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about things in life that are so close yet so far? Here's why we're talking about that. Because there are a lot of things in life that with minor deviation you have major consequences. Two points on a test and now you gotta spend another 6,000 bucks to take a class you apparently did not study for. DQing, starting a 10th of a second too early ruins your Olympic swimming dreams, you know? (laughs) I never had any, I'm so short. Anyways, moving on. Hearing the, as a brother, ruins your life. You know, minor deviations with major consequences as it is with those things. So it is with the gospel. Here's what's true about the good message of Jesus Christ. Minor deviations to the gospel will have major consequences in your life. Here's what we're going to be talking about tonight as we look at Colossians chapter 2. We are going to be gaining clarity on the gospel. We're going to look at three false gospels and look at the one true gospel because minor deviations have major consequences. And here's what's going to happen if you deviate from the true gospel. You will either live a life of joyless Christianity, where you're just mad all the time for some reason, or you'll live a life of shallow spirituality, or you may even deconstruct. Guys, listen, I've been prepping this message for seven years, okay? Not literally, like four days, but you know, like in my heart. Seven years. I was a student in Salt Company, much like this. And then I became on staff, and now I get to lead a college ministry. And you know what I've seen for seven years is seven years of people who had minor deviations that led to deconstruction. Who just took slight, it looks like the gospel, it even sounds like the gospel, it even even sounds better than the gospel at times, but minor deviations had major consequences in their life. So what we've been praying for for tonight is that wouldn't be your story. That when you're 65 years old, You'd be sitting on a front porch talking to your grandkid about the same message that you're raising your hands to right now, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he rose again so you could live, and that could be true for your grandkid as well. So tonight, we're going to get precision on the gospel. In order to do that, in order to look at the true gospel, we're going to look at the three false ones. That's right. Yay. Three false gospels. Here's what we're going to look at in Colossians chapter 2. Three false gospels. The first one is we're going to look at legalism. Legalism. Some of you guys don't know what that is yet, but we're going to talk about it. We're going to look at legalism and then we're going to reject it. Okay? We're say no, I don't want it. Second one is hyper spirituality, hyper spirituality, and the third one is man-made religion. This is going to be an equal opportunity fender. Just strap in, okay? It's going to be a good one. Look with me at Colossians chapter two, verse sixteen. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or regards to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, so Paul, early in Colossians 2, he just riffs about the gospel. This is 13 and 15. you got to look back at it. It's fantastic. That we were dead in our trespasses. That we had nothing to offer God. That our sin should have been knelt onto the cross, but instead of him, instead of our sins, it was King Jesus. He rifts on the gospel, and it's this beautiful representation of what is true of you if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And then it says, therefore, okay? Therefore, let no one pass judgment on food and drink and days. Now, guys, I don't know about you, but this seems like an abrupt transition, right? First, he's talking about the gospel. Oh, my gosh, yes, my sins on a cross. Yes, amazing. And then he's like, keto, you know? It's like dietary restrictions. You're kind of like, what's happening? What are these festivals, these new days? What was happening then is what's been happening ever since Christianity got started, which is people adding things to the gospel. It's saying, Jesus, I know you're good. I know you died on a cross, but should I still drink the same things I used to drink? Should I still do the same things I used to do? Should I still hold certain days holier than others? It was people adding things onto the gospel. This is the idea of legalism. So here's a working definition I have for you on legalism. It's following the rules, not the ruler. It's living your life more focused on the law than the lawgiver. It's more precise on how good of a person you are than how good Jesus has been to you. Keller says this about legalism. Legalism is looking to something besides Jesus Christ in order to be acceptable and clean before God. Here's what legalism is. It's getting to the bloodied body of Christ on a cross and saying, hey, hey, Jesus, look at me. Like, Jesus, I got baptized. I got confirmed. I grew up in a Christian home. Like, look, I'm a good person. It's getting to the feet of Jesus saying, Jesus, look at me. And guys, I want you to know, none of those things are bad. God has given them as gifts to us so that we could be edified in Him. But if you go to the feet of God on the cross and say, God, look what I've done, you do not know the grace of Jesus. You are operating off of a works based reality. And here's why legalism is so problematic it's problematic because from the outside it looks holy. It does. If you pursue legalism, if you pursue works-based righteousness, if you pursue being good in front of other people and being good in front of God, you will look like a pretty holy person. But here's the problem. It completely misses the point. See, the point of Christianity is not you becoming a perfect person. It is you worshiping a perfect God. And legalism gives you a cheap knockoff version of the real thing. See, the failure of legalism is this. The more you try to become good, the less you focus on how good God has been to you. You start to make Christianity not about Christ. You start to make it about you. And even as I just laid that out there, like, that might seem like a pretty easy miss. You know, like, I don't want that. That seems pretty reasonable that I would want something else. But here's the problem. All of us are so tempted by this. Me, every single day, is tempted to think that my standing before God is dependent on what I do for him. And the question is why. Here's why. If you do not know Jesus, the reason why legalism is so tempting to you is because it doesn't require full surrender to him. As long as you're just slightly better than you are bad, right? Like you guys kind of do the mental math in your mind. You're like, okay, I did run a red light, but I did help an old lady across the street. Like, oh, what's the the calculus there, you know? Like, I know I cuss a lot, but like I bought my buddy Chipotle. Like I just, there's got to be a moral framework here. Here's why legalism is the drug of choice for so many religious people across the world is because it does not require full surrender to King Jesus. It allows you to just live your life slightly better than the person next to you and you feel justified thinking that you're good enough without God. But here's the problem. Not only is it compelling and attractive for people who do not know Jesus, it is compelling and attractive for all of us. Because let's say you do know Jesus and here's why it's so compelling and attractive to you. It's because it doesn't require full surrender to Jesus daily. See, some of you view the gospel as a thing that saved you, but you think you're the one who's sustaining you. You think you're the one who's sanctifying yourself. You think you're the one who's satisfying your soul. So you wake up every day angry because you're not good enough. You don't do enough right things. You're not looking to Jesus for your satisfaction. You're looking to yourself. And so day by day, you're waking up legalistic, Because you'd rather be angry looking at yourself than joyful surrendering to Christ. So the reality of legalism is it's attractive because it doesn't require full surrender. And I just want to pull over here and say, most of you, if you grew up with a church experience, which honestly in our ministry is not super common. Like I've heard a lot of your stories. A lot of you guys just started attending salt companies. So like legalism and all this kind of stuff, completely new concept. But for some of you who grew up in the church, this has been your experience where Christianity was all about behavior modification, not about the transformation that is available through the gospel. So you come to salt either feeling super guilty or super good. You feel super guilty because you're coming in tonight and you're thinking to yourself, think about all the sin that I did this week. Think about all the mistakes I've made. Think about the thing that I would never tell anyone that I did two years ago that has defined my mental reality for the last two years. And you're coming in assault feeling incredibly guilty because you're thinking, if I can't deal with myself, why would a loving God want to love me? Or you're feeling good. Because you've done the math. And you've thought to yourself, I've done enough good things to outweigh the bad things in my life. And really, how am I a bad person, I'm better than the guy who murdered someone on the street. I'm better than the person who's doing X, Y, Z, so you're walking in tonight either feeling incredibly guilty or incredibly good. Here's why legalism fails you. Either way, you're walking in tonight looking at yourself, not at Jesus. You're coming in tonight thinking that it's about you. You come to Saul Company thinking that it's just about you feeling less guilty or you feeling better. Legalism fails you because it's not about you. Keller says, legalistic remorse says, I broke God's rules, while real repentance says, I broke God's heart. Here's my convictional question for all of us, staff, leaders, students, your first time, whatever. When you sin, when you fall short of the glory of God, when you mess up, what's the first thought in your mind? Did I break God's rules or did I break God's heart? This will determine the status of your soul. Okay, so I grew up going to a legalistic church, and I totally hated it, okay? It was tough, mostly because there were old ladies that kept, you know, pinching my cheeks, and I didn't like that. I was like, oh, it's is my personal space, but I don't know how to tell you that because you're, like, 70. So I was like, oh, gosh, what do I do? I hated it. But the reason why I hated it is because I actually saw legalism take place in people's hearts. And what I realized is there were only two groups of people at the church I had growing up. The first group of people were the people who loathe themselves because they were so overwhelmed by their sin, but had no gospel outlet to receive forgiveness for it. So they lived day by day hating their Christian experience, which by the way is uncompelling, okay? Group number two. is group number two with people who are incredibly proud of themselves. Because they did the math and they realized that they helped enough old ladies cross the street that they were good before God. That they were better than other people. They gave more than other people. They did more Christian things than other people. So either way, what I saw was the product of legalism in our church. And so at 13 years old, I told my parents, I did not believe in God. Because why would I believe in a God that only loves me as much as I can love him? That makes no sense. And why would I believe in a God where people have this product of culture inside of them? Some of you here tonight. This is the first time anyone's ever explicitly explained what legalism is, and many of you have grown up in legalistic environments. And some of you are here tonight, and it is clicking in your mind that you have been told the whole point about Christianity was you just being a good person. You saying the nice right thing, nice right, next right thing. Why did I say nice right there? Next, next. You're saying the next right thing you're doing the next right thing and you've never heard of the radical grace of jesus and here's my invitation for you now and throughout the rest of the sermon would you taste and see the real thing legalism is a flimsy plastic version of the real thing it looks like christianity but it's not What Jesus demands from you is not your perfection or your goodness. What he's calling you to is full surrender to him. And then you can taste the goodness of the gospel. Okay, so that's legalism. That's religion. But I'm not going to lie, guys, when you think about it, it's pretty easy to object to that because, you know, in our culture we hate authority. So next one, next one. We're going to hit the uh, spiritual but not religious ideology, okay? Reject hyper-spirituality. Look at verse 18. Also, literally so many of you guys are sick. I just, I feel so bad for you. Like, I can't help but think that. But I'm like, oh my gosh, is that 700 coughs so far? Goodness. I'm sorry. I'm also feeling a little sick. So I just feel for you. But I, I'm sorry. Thanks for coming tonight, though, honestly. Would rather have you here. Okay. I just had to say it, because my goodness, the coughs. Verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed out without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Okay, we're going to come back to the fun A word later, okay? It's going to be a great time. But for now, we're going to focus on the worship of angels part. Oof, this is exciting. So here's what was happening at this time. People were using the same logic flow. Jesus plus works for legalism. And in this case, they just swapped out works for like, Spiritual experiences. You know what I mean? This was mysticism. So this idea of like, yeah, like Jesus is good. Like I understand Jesus died for your sins on a cross, but have you tried worship to the angels? (laughs) Like it's the real good stuff. Like that's what they were saying. I understand that Jesus is great, but have you tried the visions? Have you had the dreams that I've had? And what what it was creating was a two-tiered Christianity where it was like the normal Christians just got Jesus and his blood that wiped away their sins and they were made righteous in him. And then the real Christians had these hyper-spiritual experiences that began to define their walks with Jesus. What was happening at this time is that people were having a sensuous mind. And all that means is that they're prioritizing the senses over the intellect. So instead of following the biblical commands about holiness, mission, and faithfulness, they begin to prioritize spiritual experiences over Jesus. And I wanna slow down and say, this is the false gospel that'll be most tempting for our generation. Here's why. The truth is, most of us are pretty uncompelled by legalistic frameworks. Like, you will probably have a similar response that I did growing up in my church of like, this, this kind of sucks. Like you would have been like, this is not great. But we also live in a culture that has completely destroyed any level of authority and yet has deified our own feelings. Let me explain. People in our culture right now believe that what you feel is the most true thing about the world. Think about that statement. That means your feelings has precedent in truth over God. We have deified our feelings. We have stricken down authority and religion. So in a culture where we hate authority and we deify our feelings, hyper-spirituality thrives. Because the same cultural messaging of our culture finds its place in hyper-spirituality. And here's why this is so tempting for us, guys. We all want to feel something, you know. We want to feel alive. That's what we were actually designed for. We were designed to have perfect union with Christ. We were designed to have perfect union with God. So yes, we were designed to feel things and to have spiritual moments. And I want to make this clear. I'm not saying spiritual moments are bad. Spiritual moments are beautiful. Guys, every single Thursday I have a spiritual moment. I don't know if you feel that way, but it's like, oh my gosh. God is so good. There are hundreds of college students worshiping King Jesus here. I have a spiritual moment here every single Thursday. I'm not saying spiritual moments are bad, but when this becomes a false gospel is when you start prioritizing spiritual experiences over King Jesus. Where the point of going to places like this, the point of going to worship encounters, is not to worship the King who died on a cross for you, but it's just to feel something. It's to have a spiritual encounter. When it becomes a false gospel is when you start prioritizing spiritual moments and start seeking spiritual moments then seeking the heart of god so this is also part of my testimony i normally i don't do this if you're new here to salt i use other examples but you know this one was great so 13 years old step away from legalism say this this cannot be real christianity this is bad 16 years old 16 years old i get saved and what then I would find out was a very spiritual environment. And, and I'm thankful for that. I want you guys to hear that. God uses environments like this, all that kind of stuff. God saved. And then I met a bunch of young people. And it was so fun because I was like, oh, my gosh, like no more old ladies pinching my cheeks, you know. <laughs> friends, friends. I wanted friends. I met a bunch of young people that, like me, went from place to place to get the spiritual high. Wednesday night to Sunday night to Sunday morning to this other thing to this other thing. Also, I could chase a spiritual high, and the rest of my days felt horrible, but those moments where I could have a spiritual high were incredible. And here's what I found I found so many people seeking the spiritual high, and very few that had dug deep wells with Christ. See, here's the danger of a hyper spiritual environment if you start seeking spiritual experiences over Jesus, then all you're left with is emotionalism. All you're left with is a group of people that just wanna feel something together. Listen to me. Here's my call for you tonight. No matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself, at Salt Company, at church, whatever, in moments you have with God, seek the person over the presence. Seek King Jesus daily. And here's the irony. If you seek the presence over the person, you're going to be left with emotionalism. If you seek the person, you will encounter the presence of God. Guys, the most spiritual moments I've ever had have not been in rooms where people are telling me to have a spiritual moment. You know what I'm saying? It's like, have a spiritual moment. I'm like, okay. that's No, that's not how it works. The most spiritual moments I've ever had is when I'm on my knees begging King Jesus to make real to me my sin and his grace in my life. When I see the bloody cross and how my sins put him there, that is a spiritual moment. Make, I just want to be unbelievably clear, where spiritual moments go from being a product of the grace of God to something in place of the grace of God is when we're seeking spiritual moments instead of seeking the heart of God. So be careful about spiritual moments. Okay, last one we're going to hit is reject man-made religion. Look with me to verse 20. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you're still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they have no value in showing stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Okay, so let's talk about the A word, asceticism. Ooh, fantastic. How exciting. This was a reference to people practicing a certain level of heightened discipline and self-denial in the church. Okay, so it's like people, there's like stories of people like whipping their own backs so they can experience what Jesus experienced. Does it make sense? Here's the problem with that line of thinking. It's not in the Bible. Asceticism was a practice that people would do because they wanted extra biblical things in order for them, extra means outside, in order for them to feel extra spiritual. Asceticism was a dangerous practice. And in order to clarify this, legalism and asceticism are very different. So legalism, they sound similar, legalism is following the law to a T. Asceticism is adding things onto Christianity that aren't in the Bible. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm just going to hope that is. (laughs) Okay. So here's what was happening. People were adding to Christianity, not believing that the gospel was enough, so it had to be the gospel plus excessive self-discipline, the gospel plus self-made religion. Verse 22 says, according to human precepts system teachings. They're like, yeah, Jesus, what you say in the Bible is great, but have you tried this? I understand that Jesus died for your sins, but like, do you do, you do these things? Verse 23 says, self-made religion. And the question is, why would people want to do this? Why? Here's why. Because the greatest cancer of the human soul is trying to add things to Jesus. Guys, all of us do this. Like, think about your own soul. Jesus doesn't feel like enough for you, so you have to add something else to him. It's got to be Jesus plus this girlfriend. It's got to be Jesus plus your dream job. It's got to be Jesus plus all these different things. Asceticism is just actually putting that into practice. It's like, I will only follow Jesus if I have all these other things. And listen, I want you guys to understand this list of all of these three things, right? Legalism, hyperspirituality, and man-made religion. This one is the most dangerous. Legalism is the one you're going to reject quickly. Hyperspirituality is the one you're going to be tempted to, but this one has the most destructive responses. Because in the spirit of asceticism, that Jesus is not a love enough, that man needs to create extra biblical rules and religions to follow. You begin to prioritize the words of man over the words of God. This is what I like to call build a bear theology. Okay, so this is super common in our culture right now, okay? You laugh, but like think about this. This is how people do theology right now in 2023 in St. Paul. So Jesus is the bear. Buddha is the clothing. Stoicism is the color in the eyes. You know what I'm saying? Like let me just mix it all up together. Well, why do people do that? They do that because they think Jesus is not enough. They do that because they're not biblically rooted in their theology and they just think of Jesus as this ethereal person that they can kind of mold to their own liking. They do that because they want to be like really culturally woke and have all these different religions together. They do that ultimately because they do not understand who God is. So hear me say this. Christianity is not about you changing who God is. It is about God changing who you are. Sanctification is not the act of you trying to make God more like what you want him to look like. Sanctification is God changing you to look more like him. Guys, understand this. You are not God. You do not get to choose who God is. You do not get to put Jesus together with Buddha and Stoicism. Either Jesus is enough for you or he's not. Either Jesus is the risen king or he's not. You do not get to mold him. You are not God. You are a sinner in need of grace. You're not the healer. You're the broken one. You're not the molder. He's the molder. Listen to me. You are not God. And the reason why this ideology is so destructive is the more you do this, the more you pair Jesus with other things, you begin to think that human words are more important than God's words. It is immediate deconstruction. This is not just a minor deviation. This is a complete deviation from Christianity. The story of your life will not be marked by faithfulness to Christ at 65 years old saying the gospel to your grandkid. The story of your life will be, I remember when I used to sing a couple cool songs at Salt Company. I remember when I used to have a couple friends who used to do that Jesus thing with me. But then I kind of grew out of that because honestly, we all know that Jesus isn't enough. So then I tried a bunch of other things and now I don't even think I'm a Christian anymore. I don't associate with Christianity because I combined Jesus with all these other things and I deconstructed my faith. That will be the story of your life in man-made religion. The spirit of asceticism will destroy your walk with Jesus. Okay, so here's the action step. I want you to be weary of any person, any pastor, any TikTok influencer. Gosh dang it. So many of you guys are getting your theology from TikTok and it scares me, but I'll be okay. Anyone who's telling you, yeah, I know Jesus is great, but have you tried this new thing? I know Jesus is awesome, but how about you try putting this on top of him? Have you tried combining a couple different ideological streams? Listen to me. Asceticism, man-made religion is a false gospel that will lead to destruction in your walk with Jesus. Okay, so in review, here are the three false gospels we need to reject. Okay, if we want to stay true to the gospel, we need to reject legalism. Okay, following the rules, not the ruler. We need to reject hyper-spirituality. Desiring the presence over the person, and we need to reject man-made religion, elevating man's thoughts over God's thoughts. Okay, but here's ultimately why all of these fake gospels fail. They can't change you. You try to go into legalism, you try to go into hyper-spirituality, you try to go to man-made religion, none of those things will actually change the very core of who you are. Verse 23 says this, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom. They look smart and promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Listen, if you want to change, if you want to be made holy like Christ, if you want your internal structures to look more like Jesus, it will not come through these false gospels. They have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So as I call the worship band back up, here's the way. We reject these false gospels. It's not just by having rejection radar. You know what I'm saying? Like, ooh, (laughs) is this sucky? You should have that. The way to reject these false gospels is not just to reject them, but to actually receive the true gospel. Verse 6 of Colossians 2 says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with him. The way to reject these false gospels is to receive the real gospel. That it's always and only about Jesus. Listen, this sounds oversimplistic, but it's not easy. Staying loyal and faithful to the true gospel is going to require a lot of heart work and an intentionality and a precision on what the gospel is. You need to tell yourself every single day the reason why I'm alive, the reason why I'm breathing, the reason why I'm saved, the reason why I'm being sanctified, the reason why I'm being sustained and satisfied is because Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again so I could live. You need to camp out there for the rest of your life. This is not a hotel, okay? This is like a 30-year mortgage, you know what I mean? Like stay there, stay there. And I mean that because I've seen so many people start saying, yeah, I'm a little bored with that message. I've become bored with the blood. I've become cavalier about the cross. So I'm going to try all these new things. You need to stay there. Stay in the gospel. And what I love about the gospel is that the true gospel redeems all false gospels. So here's the good news about legalism, okay? The true gospel is not you have to work your way up to God, but that God worked his way down to you. And because of that, you can be obedient to him. Keller says this. It's just so good. Guys, I know I quote Keller a lot, but he's just, he's just the mini goat. You know, Jesus is the best. But Keller's awesome. He's not even close 2nd I'm just saying he's awesome. Okay. Traditional religion says, I give God a good moral record, so he has to bless me. The gospel says, God gives me a good moral record through Christ, so I want to bless him. Religion says, if I obey, then God will love and accept me. The gospel says, God loves and accepts me, therefore I want to obey. Listen, this is the product of when you meet Jesus. When Jesus saves you from your sin, when he sanctifies your soul, when he sustains you with every breath in your lungs, what you want to do by the spirit of God is begin to obey him. Some of you guys look at the Bible and you're like, I can't do that. You can't. But by the spirit of God, you can start walking towards holiness. This is the good news of legalism. I'll hit the last two really quickly because we're coughing so much. Okay. Last two. Here's the good news. The redemption of the hyper-spirituality gospel. The good news is you do not have to base your faith on how you feel about God you can base your faith on how he feels about you. See, the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to have a spiritual moment on Monday morning at 7 a.m. when you have to go to work. You're not. But you can trust in the firm foundation that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You change all the time. How you feel about God changes all the time. How he feels about you never changes. So the good news is you can trust in the one who is constant in his perspective towards you. Instead of seeing your thoughts as greater than his, thinking that you can mold him, the good news of the gospel allows you to be molded by him. He wants to sanctify you. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you. He's not done with you yet. So if you would just surrender your life to him, your life would be transformed. So as we enter into worship, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to read you out a quote that I think encapsulates the gospel really well by my friend Saul Rexius. Rexius. And here's my hope for all of us, that as we enter back into worship, we would receive the gospel. Not trying to make it something different, not trying to do the false ones, but receive the true gospel with the hopes that our hearts would be lifted towards the beauty of King Jesus. So I want to invite you to close your eyes. You can put your hands out if you want. Whatever posture helps you get into a place as you receive the good news of Jesus Christ. We believe that God created us to know and be known by him that all of us are made in the image of God with worth and dignity, no exceptions. But we also believe that we're all sinful and broken, that even the best of us have deep-rooted evil in our hearts that come out every single day in words or actions, no exceptions there either. But we also believe that God was unwilling to let sin and death have the final word in our life and our eternity. So in steps Jesus. Where we failed, he succeeded. Where we fell short, he rose to the occasion. While we were guilty, he was innocent, and yet he goes to the cross, and he dies there for you and I. And three days later, he rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death and to offer grace and forgiveness to everyone who would call upon him. He doesn't just give us heaven later, but he gives us life today. You can't earn God's grace by your good works. You can't lose God's grace with your bad ones. And even in this moment right now king jesus stands with us with his arms and his hearts open to you to anyone who'd cry out in desperation to him father as we enter back into worship here's my prayer that the gospel would be the anthem for the rest of our lives that at 65 years old we'd be sitting on a front porch with our grandkid and telling them of the good news that their sin does not condemn them in christ jesus that though they were a sinner far from the grace of God, that the grace of God went and got them, that the point of Christianity is not to become a perfect person, but to worship a perfect God, and Father, would that be the anthem of our lives, would we be gospel-centered people for the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years of our lives, so Father, I pray for protection in this place, The, the way the enemy works is slight deviations over time that lead to destruction, but tonight, Father, would you give us a faith and the courage to hold on to the gospel, to be loyal to the news that King Jesus came for me. And because of him, because he died, I can live. In your name we pray.